0: Hey there, folks, and welcome to this super special episode of the Inside Line F1 podcast. My name is Somal Arora, and I'm the host of the Indian Racing League broadcasts on Star Sports. And you've read it right. David Coulthard is on the show. Last month, DC came to India for his fantastic Red Bull Racing showrun, where he tore up the streets of Mumbai with a 2011 championship winning car. And Red Bull India were kind enough to give us exclusive access to DC, to speak about a lot of things about his Formula 1 career and also what he looks forward to in the future. And so firstly, I'd like to express my gratitude to them for allowing us the time with DC. But when we had DC on the show, ah, there was just so many fun things to discuss. We started off by talking about Christian Horner. And what was it like to actually be hired by someone who was younger than you and still running the entire team? Were the doubts ever creeping up on DC? Then, what was the transition like to switch from a race-winning team in McLaren to Red Bull Racing? How does a racing driver actually adapt their expectations and suddenly go from fighting from podiums every weekend to then being fighting for points in the midfield? And finally, we also get to talk about his racing driver psychology, about how he deals with tragic incidents like those of his unfortunate plane crash and also the pressure of stepping up to the Williams team when Ayrton unfortunately passed away. All of this and more is going to be a part of this episode. But if it's your first time listening to the Inside Line F1 podcast, welcome and I hope you have a fun time. Let's listen in to DC. Well, DC, it's
1: amazing to have you in person. Thank you so much for taking out the time to join us right here. It's amazing to see your affiliation with Bull Racing continuing so well into the future as well. It's been so many years since you stopped driving for them. But all these showruns come about and you just feel the romance between the two of you. But mm-hmm. I want to take it back to the very start because we're now seeing a stage where Red Bull Racing are kind of at unprecedented dominance. And Christian Honor has been at the forefront of all of it. Back when you joined the team, Christian was two years younger than you. <laughs> now, was that a weird time for you? And what were your initial impressions of him? Because surely there must have been a little bit of a doubt right, that someone's younger than me and he's running the team is really good enough. What were your first impressions
2: of him when you chose? yeah, Yeah, well, look, I think it's a fair question, but the reality is uh, Christian's a racer. You know, we'd come up through the British karting system, so I was aware of Christian. I knew of him. I'd watched him progress into cars, obviously behind my journey, and I knew of his uh, Arden from the 3000 team, which mm-hmm. was winning championships. And, you know, it's, it's a very small community, the motorsports world. So then see that Christian was sort of parachuted in as a new team principal. Mm-hmm. Was, uh, not at all concerning because you need in, in the leader, you need someone understands the dynamic of racing. There's lots of great business leaders out there. But what I think sets Formula One apart is the, the time constraints of making decisions. It's the ability of teams to adapt, react, you know, the pit stops are perfect example of the sort of teamwork that goes on. So. You know, I had no doubt that um, Christian had the managerial skills to be able to to operate the team, but that's just part of the story. What was lacking at that time was the technical skills to design and build a, a really strong car, but uh, what we do have is a really strong hammer against <laughs> the, the, the backdrop here, which we can hear banging in the background. Uh, that's going to be uh, punctuating the uh, sights and sounds of India.
1: No, exactly. That's just part of the whole experience. Yeah. Let's put it that way. Yeah. But on, on the subject of Christian and his managerial abilities, we've seen it come to light with Drive to Survive. People have seen him being very plucky with all the other teams, but there's got to be something special about him off the camera that we don't see. So what really sets him apart as a managerial talent?
2: is human skills. You know, Christian is a nice man. You know you know exactly where you stand with them. You know... What he expects and you know when he expects it, but he's also got a sense of humor and he's got a compassion that means that when we're not working all the time, there is a time to relax. There is a time to reflect. There is a time to celebrate. And some people are just on all the time. And if I even reflect on my time at McLaren, you know, Ayrton Senna was very successful there. Alan Prost, you know, Nikki Lauda, all these, these guys. And that was all under leadership of Ron Dennis. Ron enjoyed switching off, which a lot of the media might not have seen. You know, he famously said to a press conference that, you know, they make history and that the, the journalists only write about it, which <laughs> alienated <laughs> him from, you know, most of the media who who were hardworking, professional individuals. But it's what a lot of the time you don't see, which is some of the strongest human skills that uh, people at Christian have.
1: And then you had Adrian Newey coming in the mix as well. You think he was the silver bullet that changed the team? And how confident were you in the abilities? Because... That's part of a leap, right? When you go from McLaren to Red Bull Racing, there's also got to be that mental switch when you've got to prepare yourself for not fighting for podiums every week. How tricky is that for a racing driver who's basically from the start of their lives been trained to compete for podiums and wins all along?
2: Well, it was part of a journey. It was part of a process. I had nine seasons at McLaren, and when that came to its natural conclusion, there was limited opportunity uh, within Formula One and uh, and limited interest, quite frankly, and where I was in my career. And I wasn't interested in the, the previous iteration of Red Bull Racing, which was Jaguar Racing. I just met with the management team and I just didn't believe that it was operating in a way that could compete for victories. But when Red Bull bought the, the team, that, that changed everything and that really created an opportunity to to see a route to progress. And of course, none of these things happen quickly, but when you believe, when you have the commitment both in human resource and, and financial resource. Formula One is is not some magical world that is not of our of our planet. It's a group of individuals that come together that have a common desire and an ability to work as a team. And that over time is what, you know, enabled Red Bull to become a world championship winning team.
1: Just one question, Gise, I want to be really honest. You retired in 2008, Red Bull started mm. winning races in 2009. Mm. I know it was a natural end, something that came really naturally and you, and you would sure. spoke very often of how satisfying
2: it felt, but
1: did it really irritate you a little bit? Just a tiny sense mm-hmm. here and there that, okay, I could have been winning races again.
2: Yeah. I stayed for one year. You would think so, but the reality is I was done. I had 15 seasons in Formula One. I'd been a test driver for three years before that. You know, I'd raced since I was 11 years old. I think that, for different drivers at different periods of their career there's a point where there is nothing more to give it's not that you you know i can still drive a race car i just can't drive it with the same passion and commitment and i and i was running out of that passion and commitment and that is the time to retire and you know sebastian vettel was the coming man mark webber had already you you know established himself alongside me as as a teammate and was a winning grand prix driver so yeah it was it was the right time and i'm i'm proud of the work that we did prior to my retirement and that is also uh, part of this journey I have now with Rebel Racing. I'm still, let's say, an invited member of the family and I really appreciate that loyalty and, you know, I have to, you know, acknowledge, uh, you know, Mercedes in that respect. You know, it's been a long time since I won a Grand Prix with Mercedes power, but I but I still am treated as, you know, someone that won the first Grand Prix for them in the modern era when I was at McLaren in 1997. And, you know, that long-term, you know, respect and allowing you to be recognized is what sets these great companies apart.
1: David, I want to focus a little bit on the racing driver psychology because we've often heard your famous story of having that unfortunate plane crash and then getting to a podium just a week later. I'm amazed because normal people would have, have some doubts here and there, but the way you described it in your interview so far, it's always been like, there was no doubts at whatsoever, True. like I had to get back in. Do those thoughts just not arrive, or do you just squash them? What's the truth? It seems yeah. surreal,
2: to be honest. Yeah, well, of course, that evening when I eventually got back to, to my home, um, uh, you know, several hours after the brain crash, it's the end of the day, it's uh, a reflection as you lie in your bed, and of course, there was a moment where... I had the sort of shiver of, that could have been it, you know, I uh, could have been the end of my journey on Earth. So you have decisions to make. And motor racing was still a key part of my life. And there was no doubt in my mind that I wanted to race, and I wanted to race as, as soon as possible. The, the only consideration I had was one of respect to the family, because there was two pilots who had fathers and mothers and wives and children. And it's tragic that they they no longer were able to fulfill their potential and their opportunity to be sons and fathers and and husbands. But life is uh, very closely linked to death, as we all know. So, you know, you have to dust yourself off, be mindful of the feelings of others, but continue to commit to the opportunity and the journey that you're on.
1: But how do you do that? Because even in 94, when you actually made your property, Mm -hmm. it was not unfortunate circumstances, because Williams had one seat empty because Aidan unfortunately passed yeah. away. It's a dangerous sport. You know that all along, but yeah. so what do you tell yourself? Or do you tell, tell anything to yourself at that, uh, all?
2: I guess everyone's different, and there will be someone that would be able to give you a whole chapter and verse on the, on the psychology of, of how people go about making the decisions, but how I feel I make decisions is based on uh, logic and research and work and there's no there's no sort of magic uh sort of conversation with yourself in the mirror or something like that. It's like, can I physically do my job? Is the motivation to do that job still overwhelming? Is the desire still you know, it's, it drives your first thought in the morning and your last thought when you go to bed at night? And if the answer to that is yes, then you get get on with the opportunity. It's a gift to be you know, on this planet. And it's a gift to be given the opportunity to be a professional sportsman. So, you know, you don't you don't play around with that gift. And if you do, you're probably not absolutely focused and absolutely committed.
1: That's amazing, man. Right? It's amazing mm. to hear that part of your psychology. But David, the last question I've got for you is about your involvement with the W Series as well. Mm. Now, that's unfortunately not happening this year. Sure. But I want to thank you for creating that opportunity for so many drivers and yeah. seeing the progression out there. But with the F1 Academy now on, what do you look at the future like? What do you think is going to happen? And do you think the W series has really pushed things forward and we've got somewhat of a solution here at last?
2: Yeah, I think W has definitely accelerated change. Clearly, it's, it hasn't had the same reception from companies that invest in motorsport, which has been traditionally male-dominated, as we hoped. But we've definitely kick-started a massive change in the attitude towards giving women opportunity in motorsport, whether it's in driving, whether it's in engineering, Mechanics, and likewise, uh, we've created uh, household names now. You know yeah. Naomi Schiff, who was part of W as a driver, is now part of the Sky Broadcasting team and and works with F1 as well. You know we've we've got uh, drivers that now are established in other race championships that weren't previously sort of spoken about. Uh, so I think that all of that is because of of W having sort of shaken the tree. Formula One now, of course, have the Academy which will continue to create opportunity and shine a spotlight on the female talent that's out there. And I'm part of another initiative called More Than Equal, which is really looking at grassroots to create an opportunity for whatever young talent is out there, wherever they happen to be in the world, if they show that they've got speed, then we want to support them in a way that a Lewis has been supported and a Max has been supported, because that's the only way I believe that we can truly find out if there is a max beater or a Lewis beater there's a lot of men out there that aren't capable of that so uh, you know it's going to be a journey for the women because it's about getting more in and and uh, you know the more that funnel into the system then naturally that's going to improve the whole process
1: awesome thank you thanks so much for that David Thank thank you
0: now that was fun wasn't it I was particularly amazed to listen to his psychology and just what he says to himself after tragic events like his plane crash. And so, I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode half as much as I enjoyed being a part of it in person. Because, my word, I still have goosebumps thinking about it. If in case it's your first time listening to the Inside Line F1 podcast, welcome aboard, folks. We've got post-race review episodes and pre-race preview episodes for every Grand Prix weekend. And when the racing's not on... We've got so many people from in and around the sport to share their insights, including Parak insiders like Peter Winsor, Bob Varsha, Craig Scarborough and Atle Gulbranson and many other people surrounding the sport as well, including Manish Pandey, the director of Senna and Lucky, who was on the show as well earlier on, to share his creative thought process behind creating these amazing F1 series. So, if you like what you heard, leave us a good rating, subscribe to the podcast and also Share it with any friends or family members who would love to listen in as well. Thank you for listening, folks, and we shall be back with more. Bye-bye.